0: Damon and I just got back from Baltimore. We went there this morning to meet with the parents of Jordan McNair. And based upon what we know at this time, even though the final report is not completed, I said to the family, the university owes you an apology. You entrusted Jordan to our care,
1: and he is never returning home again. Those were the words of University of Maryland President Dr. Wallace D. Lowe. The school held a press conference on Tuesday to, in Lowe's words, take legal and moral responsibility for the failures that led to Jordan McNair's death this spring. After Lowe spoke, athletics director Damon Evans took the podium and delivered some remarks of his own before receiving some pointed questions from the assembled media. What did we learn from Tuesday's press conference, and what does it mean for this story going forward? It's August 15th, my name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. Josh Stern was on the scene in College Park on Tuesday for Inside MD Sports. Josh, what were your big takeaways from Tuesday's press conference?
2: Well, obviously the, the biggest takeaway was that Lowe and Evans both said that Maryland accepts legal and moral responsibility um, for Jordan McNair's death, essentially confirming the first of the two stories published by ESPN Friday. Um, And Lowe also announced the formation of a commission to investigate the second ESPN allegation about the toxic culture surrounding the program. Um, So so those were the two biggest things. Um, Evans and Lowe said they um, visited with McNair's family Tuesday morning to Basically, apologize to them in person and tell them what they told us later in the day, um, which is that they didn't follow, you know, the training staff didn't follow um, proper procedures. And Lowe made it clear that this is, um, he put this on the training staff and not the coaching staff. Some of the details that they revealed that his temperature was never taken, and the training staff did not apply the cold water immersion treatment, which experts have said. Uh, effectively treats heat stroke, um, which is McNair's cause call, of death. So those those were basically um, the, the biggest takeaways. Now I think the question is kind of why, 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 why announce it right now? At, why wait so long, two months basically after McNair's death to announce all this? It, it doesn't really seem, it doesn't really make sense that it took this long to come to this conclusion to find out that a temperature was never taken and, you know, it was the cold water immersion
1: treatment wasn't applied. So I think now those are kind of the questions he turn to. Yeah, I think people who were kind of witnessing this press conference in a vacuum, we're kind of struck by the emotion behind uh, Dr. Lowe's words. But people like yourself who have been following the program day in and day out know that, you know, there's kind of been some frustration about why hasn't this been tackled head-on sooner. Was today an important step in the right direction, or does it feel like it's too little too late on that front?
2: It, it was a necessary step, but I mean... I, I think it was also a little, little bit uh, too little too late at this point. Um, I'm not sure what what they can do to save uh, Durkin's job that it seems like public opinion has already, you know, turned on him and it's kind of tough to recover from that. Um, so, so on the surface, uh, Lowe came off well and I'm sure uh, it sounds like a lot of people appreciated his honesty, but he's, been getting a lot of criticism from, you know, high-level boosters and everything, just about the timing of all this, how it took him so long, and, you know, uh, sources that told um, our our site that, you know, he refused to discuss the settlement with McNair's family um, in the period following his death until all all the facts were revealed. But now that this ESPN report came out, suddenly, you know, they're, they're revealing these things, before the external investigation that they launched in June um, concluded. And there's also, you know, the, the fact that Lowe appointed Evans as the athletic director last month, kind of kind of knowing a lot about a lot of this stuff. So now both of them are left to face a lot of this stuff, and now they're the ones that are probably going to get some more of the attention now that Durkin is placed on leave. And he, he wasn't there at the press conference today and he's not, you know, around to answer any questions now.
1: Yeah. It seemed like one of the most awkward moments of the press conference for Lowe and Evans was when Evans was kind of being asked, uh, you know, you were the interim athletic director at the time uh, on, on May 29th at the time that Jordan McNair was hospitalized and then promoted, as you mentioned to full-time AD uh, in June. Um, so Given that he kind of oversaw this tragedy, how can he credibly lead reform on this issue? Um, I don't. I don't know how big of a problem do you think that is for Evans in Maryland going forward? Certainly seems like you know a, a major hurdle for the reasons like that that you and
2: I already mentioned. Um, but e- Evans has at least portrayed a lot of confidence in handling this. He said he's the one that can lead them through um, the difficult times these difficult times and he he is a good orator he is a good speaker and he's he's not he said he hasn't seen any of this behavior he wasn't at the prep the prep workout that mcnair led to mcnair's hospitalization and he didn't witness any of the the toxic culture behavior either but he said you know, these, these are things that he's taking very, very seriously. And he he obviously put Durkin and three other members of the, the staff already on administrative league. And then he announced today that he also, um, that the strength and conditioning coach, Rick Court, also re- resigned on Monday. Um, and Court was a big part. He he was the main villain, I would say, of the second ESPN report
1: about the toxic culture. Do you think we got any closer today to knowing whether DJ Durkin will be Maryland's football coach in 2018?
2: I, I would have said entering, entering this press conference or uh, today's press conference that it would be, it would, it's an extreme long shot that, that Jerkin would come back and nothing really, as nothing really said today would change that opinion. But like I said before, Lowe did make it clear that it was the, so far, they've only found the training staff, you know, re- responsible for the mistakes. But obviously, it, it goes to the top of the program, and that that's, that's D.J. Durkin. Ultimately, he's responsible for everything that happens in his program. Now, I, I guess the question is kind of whether how, how much uh, did he create this 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 culture? How much did he actually you know have to do with McNair's death? But I think even even if he's found you know not
1: to have played a direct role. I think he is guilty by association at this point. All right. Josh Stern is a Maryland football and basketball beat writer for Inside MD Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Josh underscore Stern. Thanks, Josh. All right, thanks, Connor. Director of Player Personnel is a job title that college football fans are seeing with increasing regularity in the staff directories of their favorite teams. And just last week, more than 180 people in off-field recruiting roles from more than 60 schools gathered in Nashville at the first-ever Personnel Symposium in what was billed as an opportunity to, quote, learn from some of the most experienced in the field on how they brought recruiting to the forefront of college football. Steve Wiltfong was on the ground in Nashville last week for the symposium Steve, first of all, what exactly do directors of player personnel do?
0: Well, I think it's different. I think the responsibilities vary uh, depending on the school and how much responsibility uh, the head coach and the coaching staff put on those guys. But I think if it's an operation that's uh, running as well-oiled as it can, I think they're the guys that are keeping track of your recruiting board and, and keeping track of your top targets, whether that's other offers they've received, other visits they've taken. Um, Games they've played, and 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 making the coaches better at their job recruiting on the trail. They're managing the roster. They're the ones that have your plan B's and C's ready for you uh, to to present if there's any changes with the prospect on the trail or. They use a running back to uh, injury, career ending injury or, or transfer. Those are the guys that have the plans in place. The NCAA passed a rule recently that said these guys could legally watch film. They were all watching film before that rule passed, but now they can legally watch it so they can help your staff evaluate. So I think it's, I think it's of great importance for, the, the people in those roles to be outstanding film evaluators as there's plenty to comb through and they can give the uh, um,
1: coaching staff an edge when narrowing the board in a story you wrote last week for 24 7 sports you let off the piece with an anecdote to kind of show how off-field recruiting roles have gone from kind of like an undergrad locked in a film room organizing recruiting tape to now in the case of Ohio State a dozen full-time employees that's a pretty insane rate of growth do you have any insight as to what's been the catalyst for it
0: yeah a lot of the high profile director of player personnel that were in Nashville uh, last week started off in one or two man shops and now are managing double digit teams that also include graphic designers and 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 uh on campus, recruiting coordinators and, and, and thing, pe- the people that help get the official visits in line and, and organized, or, or even the unofficial. So everything's just a well of machine. When a prospect comes on campus, it's someone's responsibility now to make sure that those experiences go as smooth as possible. And the director of player personnel manages that person as well. So there's a lot that goes into recruiting behind the scenes, and, and with that, I think the director of player personnel. Is most underpaid position in college football. Uh, For some programs, those guys are so good at their jobs. I think that their salary should be that uh, of the the receiver's coach and and tight ends coach and and running backs coach. And uh, I I think that they're integral in a program, getting good players. And, And for some staffs, the head coach even gives them power to in the meeting room to say, no, we're, we need to pass on this kid or, or yes, I think this is a kid we should recruit even if the position coach isn't in love with them.
1: What do you see these player personnel departments in terms of size, in terms of scope of responsibility looking like 10 years from now?
0: I think it's just wherever technology takes us, right? Um, you know, um, social media and graphics and, and uh, have been such a integral way for these these colleges to keep in touch with prospects and their off field recruiting staff is leading the charge with, with those. Um, and, and so how's communication going to change will dictate how a director or player personnel's office runs. Oftentimes they're the first person from a college football program to have communication with the prospects. So, um, I think that they would also love to get on the road. And and, uh, I think that there's, you could see a thing where college football programs are said, all right, you can have nine or ten folks on the road, pick and choose who you want to send, and and some staffs may send more coaches than others, and some staffs may send personnel personnel people. Again, I think, and and and, uh, Andy Frank from Penn State said at the symposium that he sees this going towards more an NFL scouting model, and I agree with him. Um, and so if those guys can get out on the road and, and visit these kids in high school, visit these you know, cause when an NFL scout comes to their place, they'll come and they'll watch film. Then they'll watch the kid practice and then they'll talk with the coaches about him. Colleges don't have that much time to do that, but if you could send a personnel guy on the road um, that could take that extra time, uh, I think it would be beneficial for these guys to get to know the prospects better. But if you're sending them out on the road, I think that they collectively need to be paid better. There's a few that make really good money, but then there's a few that are just paid notorious low for the amount of hours that they put in uh, within their football
1: facility. In my experience at professional conventions, there's usually some level of big-picture conversation that runs throughout the whole thing that, like, hey, X, Y, and Z are the big challenges we're facing over the next couple of years or the big things that we're excited about. Did you... Did you get any sense of what those kind of themes were for these guys in Nashville?
0: So this was their first ever symposium. Um, it was put together by Ed Manowitz, who was Nick Saban's off-field guy who was innovative in the field. And uh, Mark Pantone at Ohio State was also, um, by his peers, credited as a pioneer. Those two guys had a lot to do with this symposium being put together. And I think, um, for one, it was a good opportunity for them all to get together um, and and just share ideas and and share what's different about their staffs and protocols and and things they have to go through. Um, Because compliance, each, each school has a compliance person and their vision they see the ncaa rules different with each compliant person so these staffs have you know have to go about their business differently based on what their compliance people says and but they also you know i think a big thing for them was they had two folks from the ncaa there and they wanted to talk to the ncaa about how they could get some rules changed how could they get out on the road and and, and, start recruiting and, you know, the NCAA explained to them, look, we don't make the rules, which I think is a pretty big misconception. It's definitely a big misconception outside of coaching staffs. Uh, but even guys, on coaching staffs, the, the, NCAA, they just enforce the rules that the conferences make together, you know, and they vote on them as a council. And then those are the rules. And then, then the NCAA governs and rules, right? So, um, it, it'll be up to the conference, It'll be up to the conferences to pass off-field personnel being able to go on the road and then they'll vote on it and and then we'll see they also wanted to be able to attend all-star game all-america bowl and the under armor game and you know get some good on good evaluation with with these kids so that was another thing that they would like to see go in their favor um, at at some point down the road but again i think it was just an opportunity to get to know each other share ideas there were some vendors there with products that would be helpful to off-field recruiting staff so so they got a chance to meet with with those folks and and look at their products so it was it wasn't a long deal i mean it was a a day and a half um but a lot of information
1: and um all the guys i talked to thought it was a great time steve Wiltfong is the director of recruiting for 24 7 sports for more on what went down at the personnel symposium check out his story on 247sports.com the rapid evolution of the director of player personnel position steve thanks so much for your time man thanks connor The Morning Blitz is a daily podcast, so we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning, breaking down the biggest college football stories of the day in a tidy 10 to 15-minute package. You can subscribe to The Morning Blitz on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.